people sometimes laugh and they say, oh, microdosing, it's so easy. You know, we don't need training or education or, you know, you're, you're a snake oil salesman or something like this, but your story is exactly why we need education. And welcome to the All Too Well podcast. I'm your host, Erica Huss. I'm a wellness entrepreneur, a wellness expert, your wellness whisperer, if you will. And I am here, as always, to bring you some tips, ideas, and resources to make your journey towards better health just a little bit easier. So today, I have a great conversation about mushrooms. And I know you guys haven't heard me talking about mushrooms in a minute, and uh, it's quite a change from... I don't know, a little while ago when I used to talk about mushrooms kind of all the time. Um, And that is because I was super focused on my project with Earth and Star, which is the functional mushroom company that I co-founded a couple of years ago. And uh, since then, I have been working on a number of other projects, including this very podcast. And uh, so, yeah, I'm focusing more on the broader conversation around wellness and how to put some of the the keys to better health in your hands. Uh, Mushrooms, certainly no exception there, functional mushrooms in particular. And then obviously there's the whole other category of the psilocybin mushrooms. So today, my conversation is with Adam Bramlage, who is the founder and CEO of Flow State Microdose. And he has really had quite a fascinating journey in the world of mushrooms, both functional and otherwise. And we really just kind of get into what what these things can really do for you, what this whole kingdom of fungi can bring to you in terms of mental health benefits, physical health benefits, uh, really just helping you to kind of reset your system and work with you. I mean, it's it's such a fascinating kingdom, the fungi kingdom. There are literally tens of thousands of, fung- of fungi species that we know of. And that is, that is saying a lot because there is a whole other world out there that is still yet to be explored and discovered. Uh, and the idea around microdosing, and we're talking about microdosing psilocybin, and it's very different than macro dosing. It's very different than what people you know, understand to be the whole experience of really just tripping and kind of leaving yourself and leaving the planet and communing with nature. That is another entire conversation that is not the one we're having today. We're really talking about very, very, very small incremental changes, micro progress and all of that under the header of micro dosing with very small amounts of these amazing, amazing fungi species. So without uh, overselling here, because we're going to get into it with Adam, I encourage you to have a listen with an open mind. I think that microdosing is something that is really just, just actually scratching the surface right now of the wellness conversation, which is so exciting. It's something that I certainly have had quite a bit of experience with and uh, continue to explore that path and see how I can help other people have that experience. More on that later. Uh, and in the meantime, I bring you Adam Bramlage. Thanks for listening. Officially welcome Adam Bramlage. Do I have that right? You got it. Okay. Um, you are founder and CEO of Flow State Micro, which is a new emerging or already established uh, microdosing information and education platform. Is that fair statement? That's fair. Yeah. We're a functional mushroom company as well. We sell 
a function of mushrooms and uh you know we're preparing for the legalization of psilocybin as well and so in the meantime uh we are an education and harm reduction platform for teaching people how to safely and effectively microdose yeah so microdose specifically uh with psilocybin or kind of all different flavors you know, we really educate on all different flavors, but I would say that 95% of the people I work with, it's it's probably mushrooms or LSD for sure. Mm-hmm. That's the vast majority of people probably microdosing around the planet right now is mm-hmm. mushrooms or LSD. But um, what's important is just also getting the information out about these other substances that people are starting to microdose that may have contraindications and uh, maybe a little bit more dangerous than per se mushrooms and, and even LSD. Yeah, um, definitely want to get into that um, and kind of into all of this because I think there's a lot of confusion and misinformation around what microdosing is. I mean, for, you know, on our side being in the, like the functional mushroom business, there's a lot of like people think, oh, you know, if it's lion's mane, that means that there's no psychedelic factor, which means I'm microdosing. And it's like, no, no, they're two completely different things. And so I'd love for you to you know, kind of help reinforce what it is a message that we sort of constantly try to put out there. But how did you arrive at this in the first place? I'm just curious what your your own story was, because everybody's kind of landed here differently. Yeah, I uh, had been using cannabis and psilocybin mushrooms since uh, after 18, after high school, um, and been using them effectively to kind of treat my own depression. You know, I had tried antidepressants in my 20s, and and that didn't work. And so I actually moved out to California uh, right around 14 years ago to be a part of the cannabis industry, because I felt strongly about the cannabis plant and its medicinal benefits for people. And so I worked in that space for more than a decade and and went legal and had legal companies. And then when I began to um, consistently microdose about five years ago, I was going through some really difficult times and I saw how effective small amounts of psilocybin were. You know, in my past, I was usually only taking medium to large amounts, you know, wasn't really experimenting with the um, the microdose level. And you and were once doing I that, began those larger do that, doses were like recreationally just for kind of a fun afternoon or was that supposed to be therapeutic as well? You know, funny enough, the first time I did psilocybin was graduation night of <laughs> high school. And okay. so it was like this incredible rites of passage. At the time, I probably didn't realize it, but there were a group of friends that had mushrooms. And then there were a group of guys that had LSD. And um, we ended up having just, you know, a life-changing, amazing experience. So through high school and college, you know, it was the larger doses. You know, people mm-hmm. really weren't talking about about taking these in in smaller doses. So again, about five years ago, I was dealing with some serious depression and I began to see how those small doses were hugely effective in blocking my default mode network or the area of my brain that wants to be the victim and default to negativity and worry. And and I noticed that small amounts really disrupted that mm-hmm. and really allowed me to think more positively and more creatively. Um, you know, I saw that cannabis was kind of like a bandaid over the wound where it, it kind of like, you know, helped you day to day with that palliative care, but the microdosing actually allowed you to dive into the wound and begin to do the healing, you know, to move forward with your life. So did you feel, I'm 
curious just because, uh, you know, it's obviously a common conversation or becoming a common conversation. And I'm very happy to see the prevalence of this type of, you know, self um, motivating kind of, you know, people taking their own health and especially their mental health into their own hands, obviously within the guardrails and, and doing proper research and all of that. Um, I've had my own kind of journey here that I'm still on and experimenting in different areas. But I'm curious from you having had such two very kind of deep experiences with both both types of medicines, did you, because I, I don't think most people really talk about using cannabis um, in a micro way or in a therapeutic way so much as in a, yeah, I mean, people say I take it to kind of like chill out or just sort of turn off my mind or in some cases turn on my mind and unlock some creativity. But you don't hear a lot about people using cannabis for depression and more for anxiety, I think, than depression. Um, so do you feel like what was what was the difference for you? Because just speaking from my own experience, like I used to be a big fan of just like smoking some weeds, chill out. And it's always worked very well for me. And slowly over the last five to seven years, I've noticed like I can't smoke sativa or I can't take in whatever form sativa, which is kind of the upper version for, you know, listeners who are not familiar with the different strange strains. Sativa like does not work for me at all. And then indica is the kind that's supposed to make you just sort of chill and people call it like indica couch because you're literally just like basically, you know, non-functional, but smaller doses can kind of help to just sort of calm the edges. But lately, like none of it is working for me. And I feel like I get super in my head and I start to get this like paranoid kind of inner voice, this just all the stuff that I've been trying to kind of get away from in pursuing the therapy in the first place. I'm curious how you've experienced that. Is this something that like I need to go have assessed or is it more just like, okay, well, you found the plants that do and don't work for you. And that's my kind of experience. And I'm curious what yours was. Yeah. I think everyone has a unique relationship with all these different plants. I think cannabis is definitely a psychedelic, you know, if taken in, in proper amounts, especially if you eat enough as an edible, what I found in my personal relationship with cannabis and I was very close to it. I used to grow it, you know, I used to, so I was very close to the plant and, um, it's very helpful, but it also is a very sticky, seductive substance, you know, and I found myself using a lot of it and, and definitely not benefiting from it after a period of time. Mm -hmm. What I found when I began to microdose is I actually began to smoke way less cannabis. Mm -hmm. And that seems to happen with a lot of people who microdose is, their relationship changes with cannabis, um, tobacco, alcohol, things like that. So my relationship changed just that I found that I was really numbing myself out with cannabis mm -hmm. uh, instead of maybe looking at why I wanted to smoke. And the microdosing helped me, you know, change my relationship and look at it differently. Um, I think everybody has a different relationship with cannabis. I think there are some people out there that have chronic pain that need to use cannabis mm -hmm. every day. And that's just the way it is. And I think there are people that use cannabis and they're motivated and they exercise and they do things. And then there are people that use cannabis and they're not so motivated. So I found it helped. Uh, it didn't help me in motivation. Um, yeah. so Same. the less I began to use it older in age, the more motivated I began, um, became, and I became healthier and began to use it less. So everybody has a unique, um, relationship with it. At the same time, people can abuse microdosing. You know, there are people who can microdose every day. 
or microdose every day till their tolerance is built up and then they start mini dosing. Um, and there are large people who think they're microdosers and they're actually getting high every day mm-hmm. and they're actually mini dosing. So let's be clear that there are probably people who have addictive personalities or qualities towards microdosing, um, which is why microdosing education is important. Um, which is why it's important to teach people that psychedelics in small doses, just like large doses, have an afterglow or, um, you know, an effect the day after. So you mm-hmm. actually can benefit from a microdose on your day off um, and even your second day off. So that's what I like about microdosing is if people are doing it properly, they've built in a protocol where they're taking days off and it's not an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found with cannabis in my years past was it was an everyday thing and it was multiple times a day and it probably wasn't healthy. Right. Right. And I've learned too, just anecdotally that you do build up your tolerance, but then with, with cannabis specifically, you build up your tolerance, you're consuming more and more over a short period of time. But then if you even take like one or two days off somehow, that's enough to kind of reset your tolerance back to zero. Um, do you, do you find that that's to be, do you find that to be true? I mean, for chronic smokers that are smoking, you know, multiple times a day, I would bet it would take them probably more than a week or longer to reset their times for people that maybe a couple of times a week or on the weekend. Yeah. You could probably take two or three days off and, and reset your tolerance as well. They did an interesting study in the 50s or 60s with LSD where they found out that if you took LSD three days in a row, it would completely build up the tolerance. It wouldn't be effective. And then if you took three days off, um, it would reduce your tolerance. So, yeah, tolerance is an interesting thing. But we build in days off to the microdosing so people, A, don't build up a tolerance and B, they don't build up a, a a mental connection to thinking that you have to take something every day. Okay. Well, what do you feel? I mean, I think I have my own opinions on what the most kind of important pieces here, but what are you, like, what is kind of mission critical in terms of when you are educating on microdosing? What are, what are like the main two, three points that you want to kind of reinforce no matter what? Yeah. We like to say start low and go slow. So always start on the lower end of a dose with psychedelics. You can always take more, but you can never take less. Mm -hmm. So it's much like a a cannabis edible, you know, you want to start low and go slow. Uh, If you're a beginner to psychedelics, which means you're not an expert or a psychonaut or somebody that's had lots of experience, we highly suggest that you don't start with something like LSD. And that instead you start with something like psilocybin mushrooms. LSD is extremely potent in small doses. Um, It's very easy to take too much of and put people in very uncomfortable situations. Uh, Whereas with the fruiting bodies of a mushroom, you know, you blend it up and you weigh it out and, um, you know, you have to eat quite a bit of a mushroom um, to have a very uncomfortable experience. So, For beginners, you know, I I usually suggest that they start with mushrooms and that they're very careful about what strain they use. You know, they make sure that they're getting a mild to mellow strain. I highly suggest Golden Teachers. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to start um, and a a really great strain um, for beginners to experts. And I would say stay away from Penis Envy or any mushroom that has the word penis in it. Anything like ape, which is albino penis envy, 
Um, but these penis envy strain mushrooms are way more potent. So where a small dose of golden teacher might be a microdose, a small dose of uh, penis envy could be a large dose. Um, so you really have to know your strain of mushrooms, you know, and then you should really start low when you're measuring. And if you're starting with mushrooms, you know, we suggest maybe starting as low as 50 milligrams mm -hmm. and experimenting between that 50 and 100 milligram range um, to find what we call your sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and this, it's been interesting learning, um, for, for me and my, my own experiences, because, you know, I started out with the microdose and this is speaking completely frankly, you know, I live in New York. It's not someplace that as of last year, it was not decriminalized. And so it was definitely, or I guess a year and a half ago, you know, you had to kind of like find your source. Um, and I have questions for you about that as well. But the first time I started microdosing, I got these capsules from, you know, my dealer and, uh, they were, you know, somebody, a source that I trusted and, um, it was very kind of easy transaction and process and all of that. And it was a little bottle of capsules that had really pretty labeling and branding on it, but it didn't say anything about the strain. It just said, you know, take three days on two days off is like the recommended protocol, but you can kind of play around with this very little guidance to be honest. Um, and I did those for like a month and I liked it. I thought, you know, okay, this is like super mild, mellow. Um, certainly as a beginner, I was hyper aware of like, am I going to feel something? And I was happy that I didn't feel something. I think that's like one of the biggest concerns that people have is like, I don't want to be high and I have to drive and I have to deal with my kids and blah, blah, blah. And the whole point of micro dosing is that you shouldn't, none of that should be interfered with. Like you should be able to drive. You should be able to handle your kids. If it's anything more than that, then it's not a microdose to your point. But it didn't. So that experience for me was like, oh, okay, now I, I get this. You know, I understand the dosage here. I knew zero about strains and the fact that even different strains existed. And then fast forward a year or so later, um, a friend of mine is, she's out in Colorado and she's like synthesizing her own product, creating capsules for, you know, micro use. And I tried a few of hers and she went through this whole kind of conversation with me about like penis envy versus golden teacher, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I have no idea any of the words you're saying. I thought this was all just kind of stuff that you see in, you know, cannabis dispensaries and things like that. I didn't know that there were names and strains and so glad to have sort of stumbled accidentally into that information. And yes, exactly to your point, I had like 150 of a golden teacher and I had like a very bright sort of sunny experience and it was lovely. And she sent me a couple things to try out and I did 150 of an albino penis envy. And I was like, whoa, hold on. Like what is, I was so glad that I was not actually working that day. I was just kind of walking around and I was like fucked up though. And again, it was something that I accidentally learned. Okay. The strains are dramatically different. And yeah, this isn't so much a question as kind of just an anecdote of the experience, but a point to underscore that you do really have to kind of dig in and understand. I imagine most people that you are talking to, educating all of that, like where are they even getting their source in the first place, let alone how are they supposed to actually understand how to differentiate strain to strain, even dose to dose? Yeah, I, I remember I met a woman at Esalen, an older woman in her 80s, and she was asking me the same question. She, you know, everyone wants to know, where do I get it? Where do I get it? 
you know, Paul Stamets likes to say nature provides. But I said to this woman, I said, look for the guy wearing the Grateful Dead shirt. Yeah, exactly. Um, or Dead hat or something like that. And funny enough, five minutes later, a guy walks into the cafeteria at Esalen wearing a, a Grateful Dead hat. And we both laugh and she walks up to him and, and the rest is is history. Yeah. <laughs> but what I, would, what I would say is, you know, you really have to be knowledgeable about the mushrooms, right? And what strains you're getting. And, you know, your friend also has to be really careful about sending beginners 150 milligrams of albino penis envy. I know in my experience, somebody gave me a similar dose of penis envy, and it took me into a full-blown large dose trip. Mm-hmm. Very psychedelic. I was out in public at a ski resort with people. It was awful. I had to go and lock myself in a room for eight hours under the covers. And luckily, I'm experienced with unpleasant psychedelic experiences, and I had some background. But if you're a beginner and you think you're microdosing and your kids are home or you've got a business meeting that day, that's very, very dangerous. You know, and somebody could even hurt themselves or or do something stupid, which is why education is really important. And people sometimes laugh and they say, oh, microdosing, it's so easy. You know, we don't need training or education or, you know, you're you're a, a snake oil salesman or something like this. But your story is exactly why we need education. Yeah. It's because all of these new companies are popping up and they're sending you all of these substances that aren't yet legal uh, through the mail and they're not tested. And sometimes they're not even testing them on themselves or making sure they're proper, proper strength. And then they're putting people in really, really dangerous situations. Um, so that's why the education is, is so important. And, you know, there's a similar experience when cannabis was legal, where a, a famous journalist, Maureen Dowd went to Colorado and she bought an edible And she ate 100 milligrams because she wasn't educated. And five to 10 milligrams is a proper dose. Well, she had eight hours of a nightmare. And then she went out and wrote this hit piece on how dangerous cannabis is. And it set the whole movement back. Right. So one of the things that could set this psychedelic movement back is people just being too nilly willy and you know, selling these capsules to everybody and and not not even knowing what they're giving people. Yeah. So the safest and easiest way for everybody to do this is probably to a grow their own mushrooms. Right. There are all kinds of kits and and things that you can do online. The safest way would be to grow your own, and then you know exactly what they are. You know exactly the strain, and then you would blend up the fruiting body, and you would weigh out, you know, your fifty or a hundred milligrams. You can make capsules, so you know everything you're getting. Mm-hmm. Next best case scenario, maybe you're in New York. You're like, I don't have a lot of space. I got kids. I can't grow mushrooms. Would be you find the mushrooms in fruiting body form from somebody you trust, right? That really good friend with the Grateful Dead T-shirt that you trust. <laughs> That knows his mushrooms, that knows how strong they are, right? You should be able to ask the person providing them, how strong are these? What happens when you eat one capsule? What happens when you eat two? So the best thing to do would be to, you know, take it into your own hands, the making of the capsules and the sourcing of the mushrooms. 
Now, if you can't do that, obviously some people are busy. They are going to probably order, you know, these illegal substances online. I would say, you know, you shouldn't order anything if they can't tell you the strain and they can't tell you how many milligrams are on it, obviously. And if you get a capsule, probably the safest thing to do would be to open it up, split it in half and start with taking half of the capsule, mm-hmm. right? Um, that would probably be the safest thing to do. But right now it, it is kind of the wild west for, you know, how do you go about sourcing, you know, safe and reliable um, products? And, and, and that is challenging. Yeah, I agree with you. And just for the record, I do actually believe fully in what my friend is doing is she she's doing it right. And she has like all of the materials that have a graph of like, this one is this strong and this one is this many more times strong. And it is a continuum. I went into it because I was, you know, trying to kind of experiment myself and be my own guinea pig, being fully aware that I was doing something different than the thing I had done before. So I completely and totally agree with you. And I think that there is way too much um, sort of casual approach to all of it. For example, like, you know, the first one that I got it from, the dealer who had zero information at all, and it was just like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine, three in a row, and then take the day off. Like, I, I'm glad that it went well, and I'm glad that it was that mellow, but I would much prefer to, you know, involve myself with somebody, you know, along the lines of what you are doing, along the lines of what my friend is doing, where it's like, no, 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 there's a ton of information that you need first, and then you have to make your own decision. I mean, you can only get your hand held so far before you kind of just do have to like take it upon yourself. But I think, yeah, yeah. But that's interesting too, because, you know, they're telling you to be on a three day on two day off protocol, which is a protocol that I've never heard of. And, and, you know, right now there are probably three or four main protocols that are used. The first one is the Fatiman protocol. That's one day on two days off. Mm -hmm. The idea of that protocol is that, you get two days off. The first day you're getting the afterglow. First day off, you're getting that afterglow effect. And then the second day off, you're kind of returning back to a baseline or sober. Mm-hmm. That's the Fatiman protocol. That's, you know, most often um, suggested for people who are quote unquote healthy normals, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've got good things going on. They're not trying to treat anxiety or depression or anything like that. Then there's the Stamets protocol named after Paul Stamets. That's five days on, two days off four days on, three off. Um, And then the other one is uh, Microdosing Institute, which is day on, day off. So, you know, eventually after a couple months or a month or two of getting people on a protocol, people will go to an intuitive protocol Mm -hmm. where they start, you know, to just figure out, take it as needed. Maybe it was a dose day, but they're feeling great and they don't take it. Um, But it's important that in that first month, you figure out some kind of protocol that works. You know, maybe that three days on, two off was intuitive to the person that makes the capsules. But I usually suggest starting with a Stamets protocol. Uh, If you're suffering from depression or anxiety, that Stamets protocol, I think, is highly effective getting that four or five days in a row. Um, at first, and then the two or three days off where you're still kind of getting the afterglow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and again, protocols are important because we don't microdose every day, right? right. If you're going to microdose seven days a week, you're going to build up a tolerance. It's not going to be as effective. But then again, we're doing the same thing as antidepressants, where people are buying into this idea that it only, you know, I'm only happy if I take this capsule every day, mm-hmm. which is why it's also important to note, you know, microdosing isn't a magic pill. You know, there are a lot of people that will reach out to me after a day or 
a week of microdosing and their world hasn't drastically changed. And, you know, we like to say that you really give yourself a full month Mm -hmm. before you reflect on whether or not the microdosing has been effective because it's really subtle. You know, it's really subtle, uh, little steps, little improvements, very different from a large psychedelic experience where people have epiphanies, they meet God, you know, all that stuff. And, and sometimes people think microdosing is a mini large dose experience, but it's not. It's completely its own thing. It's almost a cousin of the large dose. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are no classic psychedelic effects. Yeah. It's like and your there are a lot of cousin people. who goes to the library and sits quietly as opposed to your cousin who goes to the dead show and loses his mind. Right. That's and there I'm... are a lot of people that are also in this medium range that we should talk about, which is mini dosing where they kind of think that they're microdosing, but they're really high and mm-hmm. they're really just kind of, getting, you know, high yeah. and, but getting high on a smaller scale where they can still every day. function <laughs> right. every day getting high. Right. And they're like, I'm microdosing. So, you know, let's be clear again. It, it shouldn't be every day. You shouldn't be getting high. You know, in the past, we used to say it should be sub perceptual, right? Below the perception that you really notice it. What I like better is a sub-hallucinatory, right? There's no hallucinations. There's no classic psychedelic effects. But you might feel a little bit of an uplift of energy or mood, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there are people, I suggest taking it with like cordyceps and lion's mane and these other mushrooms. And there are people that do feel the energy sometimes of the cordyceps or or maybe a slight little bit of the magic uh, mushrooms. But it shouldn't be that you're high right? You shouldn't be high all the time. You should almost forget that you've taken um, a substance altogether. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, I mean, people have asked me like, what, you know, how high do you feel? And and, um, I always say that I feel like it just feels like the, 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 you know, the sort of the volume or the brightness on the world has been turned up just like a few dials, but that's it. Like nothing, you know, everything's a little sunnier, but it's nothing that feels like, you know, you're moving in a different way or processing in a different way. I am question for you though, for people who are super, super sensitive in general to stimulants, which is like myself, like I, as much as I love coffee, can't do it. I drink decaf and I love it. But, um, anybody who's super sensitive to stimulants, that is a consideration, right? Because there is a a, a mild stimulant effect that you will probably feel exponentially more than somebody who drinks a ton of coffee and is, is unimpacted by it. Absolutely. And and what I like to uh, ask my clients and what I talk to them about is if you are sensitive to something like caffeine or prescription medication or cannabis, chances are you're going to be sensitive to psychedelics as well. So it, it's all about starting really slow for that person, yeah. um, you know, whereas for a normal person kind of new to this, I might suggest 50 milligrams for that person that is normally super sensitive. They probably want to start with 25 milligrams, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they want to be really, really careful about that. Um, it does have stimulant like effects. That would be one way to describe what one person might feel, um, is they might feel stimulated. Um, like, you had coffee without the crash or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be one way to describe it. So yeah, for somebody who is sensitive to coffee, 
or really anything, then they're definitely going to be sensitive to something mm-hmm. like psychedelics. So yeah. yes, that person should go super slow. You know, I think it's helpful for anyone who's a newbie or a beginner or who has concerns to be able to talk to somebody like myself. You know, I coach a lot of people through the experience. Um, while I can't provide them the substances, I can definitely make sure that you know, the strain is correct when they get it and that they're weighing it out right and that they're doing everything effectively. Um, But yeah, if you're sensitive, you're going to want to be extra careful. You're going to want to go super slow. I always recommend that the first time somebody tries microdosing or a strain of mushrooms, that it's a day off. Mm -hmm. They don't have work. They don't have to drive anywhere with the kids. You know, maybe it's a Saturday. Maybe it's some kind of afternoon where they can go for a walk and they can connect with nature. Um, So, you know, it's something that for sensitive people or beginners, it might have a little bit of a stimulant-like effect. And and funny enough, that that is its ancestral history. You know, I've been able to trace microdosing back to the Australian Aboriginals, who are the oldest unchanged, um, you know, group of people who can be traced back to migrating from Africa 75,000 years ago. And they use microdosing um, of paturi, which is like a DMT bush, um, to aid in hunting because it gives them stimulant-like effects. So the earliest uses of microdosing was to aid in hunting, help us Mm -hmm. be better hunters, stimulate us so that we can hunt longer throughout the day without needing food. Um, and then make us better hunters. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it does have a stimulating like effect. And uh, if people are sensitive, they should be very cautious. And would you also suggest maybe um, experimenting with taking it once on an empty stomach and once with food in your system or vice versa with, with food in your system first, because taking it on an empty stomach is li- likely to have a, a greater impact? Yeah. So empty stomach, that's a great question. And that's a question that I get from most of my clients too. And what I say is if you normally have food in the morning, you should continue to have food. The whole empty stomach thing in in my memory comes from when I was younger and somebody would say, hey, you're going to get higher if you don't eat anything. So I like to suggest that beginners have food in their system when they microdose so that they don't maybe have a small psychedelic effect. Because if you're used to having breakfast and then you decide not to eat that day and you take a capsule, it's possible that you're going to feel that capsule more than, you know, if you had food in your system. Now, I'm somebody that intermittent fasts. I don't normally eat till after 2 p.m. So for myself, microdosing in the morning without food, great, works great. Um, But I'm experienced and I don't normally eat in the morning. So what I suggest to people is if you normally eat in the morning, if you have a smoothie or or some kind of breakfast, um, that you continue to do that and that Mm -hmm. you take the capsule with food in your system. Mm -hmm. Another question around the contraindications, and also this goes into a little bit of what you were saying about mini dosing, which is not actually a term that I've heard before, but it totally makes sense. Um, And I think I'm probably a very experienced mini doser by accident. Um, But what happens when you are on a protocol, whatever it is, say you're doing a Stamets like five days, two days, and you're on day three or day four. And then you also have plans, you know, social plans where you're going to go meet friends and have cocktails. Is that something that people need to factor in and say, well, I can't do cocktails that day because it's my microdose day or is not something that should interfere? Just curious what your opinion is. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I'm sure there are people that microdose, they take their capsule in the morning and by seven o'clock in the evening, they're meeting their friends from wine for wine or drinks and, and there's no issue. You know, I would think, so I work with a lot of people that do drink often and they come to me to microdose to reduce their right. drinking. So kind of from, uh, a scientific standpoint, you know, the alcohol is a depressant. Um, and a lot of people are microdosing so that they're not depressed. So my suggestion to people is, hey, if you've never taken a month off from drinking alcohol, try that with microdosing. It might be, it might absolutely blow your mind how effective, mm -hmm. you know, they are together. Um, but should there be a contraindication if you go out and drink once a week with your girlfriends? I I I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Would it be like two steps forward and two back if you had wine every night while you were microdosing? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I don't think it would be beneficial to have drinks in the evening when you're microdosing during the day. Right. Um, on a regular so, basis. Right. But I will so say, that, and maybe you feel differently or maybe you, you disagree. Um, but I think like I'm somebody who, you know, I go and meet people and have social drinks more than once a week. And I know that that is a entire lifestyle that is on the wane. And if I was five to 10 years younger, I would probably be approaching it a totally different way. And it's really too bad because I do enjoy cocktails and good wine and all that. But I also am way too aware of, you know, the more we learn, it's like hard to unknow the impact that alcohol has on you just physiologically, biologically, you know, medically, all of that. But something that I think I've done, like I said before, kind of inadvertently is I think I've started mini dosing in kind of an effort to, to reduce the alcohol intake. So a night that maybe I would normally have like a couple of drinks, two or three or even four, if I take enough of a dose that it's not, that it is perceptible, right? It's so going back to the example from before, like I now have a few different strains and I have a few different dosages. And so there have been times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to maybe do like 150, maybe even 200 of XYZ strain because I'm going to have a good night and it's going to keep me kind of up and energetic and social, but I'm not going to have the same urge to have like multiple drinks. So maybe that's kind of like a, you know, fucked up self-talk strategy, but it seems to be working well, for me. So. Well, it's, it's getting more and more popular. You know, there are so many people that that are trading a night of drinking for going out on a mini dose safely and maybe having the one drink in their hand that they sip throughout the night. So everyone's asking them why they're not drinking, right. but they have way more fun and they're not hung over the next day and they haven't put a bunch of alcohol into their system. So that is, you know, I, I think a healthier alternative for people who are experienced with psychedelics and know how to dose properly. You know, the mini dose has also been called the concert dose mm -hmm. um, or the museum dose, right? That <laughs> Which dose is still different than a recreational where, dose. Right, right. Where you can be in public around a few thousand people if you had to, but you're feeling the effects. This isn't, you know, did I take something? This is, I definitely right. took something, but you can still kind of function. And, you know, if you go back in our past, like if you look at the time of the Greeks and the Romans, and when they were drinking wine, it usually was spiked with some kind of psychedelic plant or substance. Mm -hmm. And alcohol was just a way to deliver 
things that were of psychedelic qualities. Um, I think it was in 1526 and there was a beer act in, in Bavaria that stopped you from being able to put mushrooms and henbane and all these other substances into wine and, and liquor. And, and since then, you know, alcohol has become more popular, but I think people are more and more feeling like, Hey, I can take a little bit more than a microdose. Mm -hmm. I can go out with my friends and Hey, guess what? At, you know, 1230, when I get back in the car, I haven't had four drinks. I've, I've sipped on a sparkling water or something like that. So, yeah, I I do think that this is, this is um, a way for people to potentially reduce their alcohol consumption. Unfortunately for people, it's fun and it's, it's how we're social and it's how we get together with people. And, and it's at every event and birthday party and it's just everywhere. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol. So it's really tough to avoid it. But unfortunately, you know, recent science has shown that even drinking once a week is detrimental to your, your health and ages people. (laughs) It's not, Uh. it's not a fun one. Let's not go down that path. Um, wait, I was going to ask. Oh, so something that I'm very curious about having zero experience with it, with the exception of a couple of like really fun shows in college, uh, is the microdosing LSD. And I mean, just anecdotally, I remember enjoying LSD trips a lot more than mushrooms, which is not typical. I feel like most people preferred mushrooms. And I always felt like I enjoy, like the visuals I thought were more interesting. I experienced that kind of synesthesia on LSD and a couple of times that I did mushrooms, like it got a little too heady and I did not, you know, it was kind of like a bummer experience. But that being said, have not had any experience with the microdosing of LSD. How is it different or is it different than the micro on mushrooms? Yeah, there are some, there, there are some similarities and there are some differences. Um, I would say, you know, the way that you mentioned that your large dose, not so pleasant experience with mushrooms was very heady. Psilocybin microdosing tends to be more inward, right? You're uh, more head and heart, right? You're going to be reflecting on things. You're going to be, it's more of an inward experience. I would say LSD is more of an outward experience, Hmm. Um, more, more task oriented, goal oriented, getting things done. I like to say, you know, a lot of people in Silicon Valley choose LSD because of its stimulant like effects and its ability to focus on outward tasks. And as I like to say, get shit done. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is looking towards microdosing to maybe deal with some depression and anxiety, maybe to look, you know, over time at some trauma or some patterns that they're in, I highly suggest, you know, the fungal intelligence of using psilocybin. Now, if somebody is like, you know, I want to try LSD and I've I've got these things that need to be accomplished. And I, I have some, some creative blocks, you know, I've got writer's block or, or there's this thing in my job that's holding me back and they're experienced, then LSD would be great for something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, they did studies back in the sixties where they would give uh, large doses of LSD to people who couldn't solve problems. And then, you know, all 44 of these people ended up being able to creatively solve their problems after one to two doses of LSD. So LSD is more outward, um, more, uh, you know, I like to say people are able to get a lot of things done, but not maybe as introspective and um, as interesting as the uh, the psilocybin. 
but it's not necessarily something that's akin to what's the ADHD drug that people take, like people who don't have ADHD. Adderall. ADHD. Yeah, Adderall. It's not, it's not a similar thing in terms of like, I just need to get shit done. So I'm going to microdose LSD versus, or, or take some Adderall. Like, is it, is it similar in that way? I mean, I think people, people, absolutely. I know a ton of people have reduced or replaced using Adderall um, with psilocybin and LSD, but yeah, I mean, LSD definitely um, would be a replacement for Adderall. And I think it was actually Albert Hoffman who said in his late nineties, that if Sandoz Labs uh, had allowed him to test uh, small doses of LSD, that it would have probably replaced Ritalin um, in the 80s and, and mm-hmm. Adderall here in the 2000s. So interesting. So absolutely. As somebody who has been able to effectively and safely microdose LSD, it's an amazing tool. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. Um, and while you know both that and psilocybin have stimulating-like effects, it's different. It's its own, it's its own unique thing. Um, You know, I like to say, right, maybe LSD is a regular screwdriver and maybe psilocybin is the Phillips head, right? They're both this amazing tool, but there's really these, these subtle differences to them. But yeah, if somebody is used to, you know, the stimulating effects of Adderall, um, LSD is definitely something that potentially could mimic that and probably in a, in a safer, um, safer way. Yeah. Interesting. It's fascinating. Now I got to track some of that down because I'd be curious to see how that goes now. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot. I feel like what, where, what other areas do you feel like we've not touched on that you think are important to, for people to, to grasp? You know, I think we've covered a lot really. If, if people, you know, don't know what to do, you got to ask for help, right? You got to find somebody like myself or other coaches or educators that can help, you know, explain this to you. And what's amazing is a lot of the clients I work with are 70 and older. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is an amazing tool um, for people who are suffering from neurodegenerative disorders like getting older you know, and the, uh, the amount of success I've seen with people seventies and eighties and beyond is really, really amazing. And those are the people that, you know, either you were really into the sixties or you were completely against the sixties. You didn't try anything. And I'm finding most of the people that are coming to me looking for help didn't have any experience. Yeah. That's my mom too. It's the same conversation. Yeah. And I would say more than anything, just, you know, look for help. There's education out there. And take your time and and definitely be safe. I mean, you told your story about the penis envy. I've got one myself. I mean, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who have negative experiences, which is why, um, you know, your podcast today is so important and people learning more and more about this is is, uh, really important as well. So if they come to Flow State, are they going to have one-on-one kind of coaching experiences or what is the, what's the experience that they're going to have there? Yeah, we meet first and we just kind of do a, um, an introductory call where I find out, you know, what they're looking for, what their intention is. We talk about, you know, what their medications are, what their past history, all that is. But more than anything, I am there to educate them on best practices Um, You know, sort of like I've sat here today and I've answered all of your questions. Most people show up with a laundry list of questions. So, you know, a good period of time is just answering their questions, um, making them feel safe and and understood. 
And then, you know, a lot of times explaining to people, okay, you need to go out and you need to buy a jewelry scale on Amazon. This is a scale that's going to read into milligrams. And this is what a milligram is. And this is what a gram is. And and really just giving them that basic education that, um, you know, nobody gave me back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day, it was here's a bag of mushrooms, eat every last piece of them. Yeah. And you uh, <laughs> really... Have fun. Good luck. <laughs> and uh, that, that always didn't end up great. So, yeah. you know, we just need to be um, a little smarter this time around with with just educating. And, and so I support people. And then throughout the course of their microdosing experience, you know, I continue to support them for as long as they need me. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for sharing what you guys are all about. Um, and if people have questions and concerns, they can find you um, at Flow State Micro. Is that right? flowstatemicro.com. Yep. Flowstatemicro.com. You can sign up there for coaching and I can get you scheduled. And then also flowstatemicro on Instagram. I've got a lot of free um, education on that Instagram as well. Amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much for for joining and for sharing and um, best of luck with all the fun journeys ahead. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to All Too Well, guys. And as always, I am accepting stars, reviews, all of the above. They don't cost you anything and they mean a lot to me. So if you do have time, head on over to Apple Podcasts and throw me a few stars and, uh, you know, just do a good turn. Thanks. Thanks.